listen to the word preached, that Jesus would be big among us this morning. We gather to proclaim his excellencies, and so we ask that his excellencies would be evident this morning. As the children leave to go back to OPVC Kids, we ask that Jesus would be excellent, that Jesus would be big, and Jesus would be shown to be almighty in their lessons, in their discussions, in their class time. Father, we ask your blessing upon our time as we look at your word this morning. We know that you will bless it. We know that by your spirit you will illuminate these things and teach us how awesome you are, that we may take that awesome message to the world. We ask it, Father, in the only name that we know how, in the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Man, you guys sounded great. I love listening to you guys sing. I mean, just sitting on the front pew here and everybody singing, you guys sounded awesome. Your voices sounded awesome. So I have a confession to make, and this has nothing to do with the sermon. I just need to get this uh, off my chest. <clears throat> I am already listening to Christmas music. Is anybody else there with me? Yeah? Already doing it? I have really no shame. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm all in. So because of that, last week they were talking about snow coming you know, this week, right? I can't tell you how many people showed me this meme that said snow in November comes from people decorating for Christmas too early. Well, but hold on now. Uh, I'm not decorating, right? So I, I understand that there's limitations and appropriateness to things. I'm not decorating. I'm just listening to the music. But um, so, all right. Well, that out of the way. Uh, good morning. We, uh, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. Uh, chapter 10. We are continuing in our study through the book of Exodus, and we are coming to an episode in the storyline, in the book, where we look at the plagues on Egypt. So the ne- over the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about this uh, series of events where God pronounces judgment on Egypt through these plagues. Um, and so what I want to do over these next two weeks is I want to look at two things uh, corresponding with these plagues. I want to look at the why of the plagues, and I want to look at the what of the plagues. So this morning, we're going to talk about the why of the plagues. And so uh, this morning, what we're going to do is not so much get into kind of the nitty-gritty, you know, um, play-by-play of the plagues. We're not going to talk about what type of locust it was that invaded or, or kind of like what these boils were like. Instead, what I want to talk about is kind of what God is doing and what his purpose is in the midst of these plagues, particularly uh, the way that they kind of played out. So as you know, the story goes, uh, God called Moses to go speak to Pharaoh because his people were in bondage in the land of Egypt. And God calls Moses to go and tell them, let God's people go, that they may go into the wilderness and worship him. God arms Moses kind of with some signs and wonders to perform to demonstrate uh, the legitimacy of his message. And right off the bat, it doesn't go the way that Moses thought it was going to go, right? So he goes up, he shows up, and he's like, God says, let my people go. And he throws down his staff, it turns into a snake. And Pharaoh kind of scoffs, his magicians throw down their staffs, turns into snakes too. And Pharaoh's just kind of like, what? But you, no, I'm not going to let your people go. In fact, how about this? Uh, more work with less resources. That's what we're going to do right there, right? And so at that moment, Moses probably felt really set up, you know. Um, but God basically tells him, you know, don't panic. Fasten your seatbelts because I'm about to do something. And so over the next, next course of these chapters, we see this back and forth between kind of Pharaoh and Moses, between Pharaoh and God, 
that really plays out like this. This is the way it kind of goes. Moses comes before Pharaoh and says, you need to let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And Moses is like, all right, I warned you. Here's a plague, right? Here, the whole Nile's turned to blood. What now? And Pharaoh's basically like, okay, okay, I've sinned. I'm wrong. You know, you, you guys can go. Just, just please, just, you know, um, take away these plagues. Take away the judgment, you know. Um, speak to God on our behalf so that we, he may relent from this judgment upon us. And so Moses does that, and then the judgment is released. Moses goes back to Pharaoh, and it's like, all right, we're going now. And Moses and Pharaoh's like, no, you're not. And so it kind of starts over again, right? Moses is like, well, let his people, let my people go, or there's going to be another plague. And sure enough, there's another plague. Pharaoh's like, oh, this time, this time I was really wrong. Like, you know, you're right. You guys can go and just, just take away this judgment. Judgment goes away, and Pharaoh's like, Actually, no. Just kidding. So it almost seems like Pharaoh is really engaging in like this long, drawn-out game of like psych. You guys remember psych? All right, when I was a kid, psych was a way to go back on something. You know, like if you're like, hey, you can play my Game Boy. Oh, really? No, psych. And for some reason, it was like steadfast. You know, you're like, oh, got me with the psych, right? It seems like kind of Pharaoh is just, you know, psych, just kind of toying with God, right? And, and if you didn't know better... If God didn't kind of reveal the why of these plagues, if God didn't reveal the purpose or the heartbeat behind these plagues, you would wonder who is really in control of this situation, right? Back and forth, back and forth. It kind of seems like, you know, Pharaoh's playing the role of that manipulative kid, right? You know, when you tell a kid to do something or to stop something or else he's going to get a spanking or sent to his room, Right, and he'll he'll correct himself just long enough to get out of that punishment, right? And then as soon as that like they, that threat's alleviated, it's like back to bad behavior. My kids don't do this. I'm just saying, like it, it, hypothetically speaking, I'm sure there's some children that do this. And you get to the point where it's back and forth, back and forth, and you're like, wait a minute, who's in charge here, right? Who has the authority, and who's playing who? So when we read through these chapters and we read the story of these plagues that are kind of drawn out. And it's like Pharaoh's constantly going back and going back and going back. You have to wonder. It doesn't explicitly say, though, but I almost have to wonder if Moses is almost going, okay, God, this isn't working, right? You know, just kind of like, okay, we're on plague four. Maybe we should come up with another plan, right? Uh, It looks like Pharaoh is duping us, and he has no intentions of ever doing what God wants him to do, and we're going round and round and round, and this thing is turning into a circus, right? Anybody ever been there? You ever been there where you're like, you're obedient to God, but it feels like that obedience creates opposition? What God is going to tell Moses, I think, shows the purpose that he has in these plagues, why this is being drawn out, why this back and forth, and it's really going to show who's ultimately in charge. So in Exodus chapter 10, and I know what you're thinking. You're like, wait a minute, we're not in chapter 10. So as I was reading through and studying this and looking at this and and kind of trying to how we're going to deal with big picture behind the plagues, I landed in chapter 10, and I was like, that is the statement that God makes kind of to sum up what he's doing here in these plagues, right? So this is our big idea as we look at chapter 10. This is our big idea that God is going to reveal to Moses, and that is this. God positions people and circumstances that his glory may be known and proclaimed 
even onto the next generation. That's, that's got the big idea this morning that God is going to reveal to Moses in the middle of this back-and-forth game with Pharaoh. So look with me, if you will, into the, your copy of God's Word. Exodus chapter 10, and I believe this is page 52 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn along with us. Exodus chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. I believe that God's statement here this morning to Moses reveals two heartbeats behind this series of plagues poured out on the Egyptians. And these two heartbeats are God's glory displayed and God's glory proclaimed. So as we said, it looks like in the middle of these plagues that Pharaoh essentially is playing God and Moses, right? It looks like Pharaoh is the one that's winning out and that he has God backed into a corner and is just jerking them around, right? But what we see here, and, and, and if God didn't kind of maybe give us some insight, it would be easy to see why that would be the case, right? But God actually gives us some insight. He speaks to Moses so that we can know that's not exactly what is going at all, on at all. In fact, Pharaoh is positioned so that God may demonstrate his glory. Pharaoh is in a position that for God to create his purposes through him. In fact, God even tells Moses at one point, right, during this back and forth, you know, one plague, he relents, nope, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, you can't go anywhere. Next plague, God tells Moses back in chapter 9, essentially he says, go to Pharaoh and say this, I have raised you up for this purpose. If you look back in chapter 9, starting in verse 13, this is the middle of the seventh plague, right? So we've been at this for a while. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord. Right? So basically, in, you know, in case Pharaoh's getting cocky, you need to go and tell him what's really up. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you and you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. And listen to this. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. Right? Because you've got to think, God fully was capable of having this be like kind of like a one-time deal. Right? Moses could have showed up and said, hey, God says let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, let me think about that. No. And Moses is like, all right, well, here we go. And then God wipes Egypt off the face of the earth. Right? And so from, you know, you can look back and like, what's that big crater in North Africa? I'd be like... That's when Pharaoh thought he was, you know, could go up against God, right? And it would be like a one-time deal, just wipe him out, end of the story, right? Move on to the next chapter. So why is this thing being strewn out so long? Look what God says in verse 16. But for this purpose I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth, right? So God gives, like, just some insight Pharaoh, lest you think that you've got my boy Moses backed in a corner, you are doing exactly what I have called you to do. 
right? The CSB, I think, says, I've let, tell, tell Pharaoh, I've let you live, right? Just to show, right, look, you little pagan punk, I could have wiped you out from the get-go. The reason why you're stringing this along is because I have put you in place to string you along. Why? So that God's glory could be displayed amongst the Israelites and amongst the Egyptians and amongst Pharaoh himself as again and again and again God displays his might and his power among the Egyptians and among the Israelites. Every time Pharaoh refuses to obey God's voice is an opportunity for God to demonstrate his power among the Egyptians. Next week, we're going to look in a little bit specifics and see kind of each time as God releases these plagues, what each plague says over the sovereignty of God, over the the, the pagan idolatry of Egypt. So lest we think that this whole thing has kind of gone off the rails, right? And, you know, and, and God and Pharaoh are kind of duking it out, right? You know, it's kind of like an exciting football game, right? You know, this, that team gets a touchdown. Oh, here comes the other team. They get a touchdown. And you're like, who's going to win? I don't know. This is why I stay up and watch football late in the night, right? That's not exa- at all what's going on. Random sports analogy, I know. I got more coming. Don't wait. God's telling Pharaoh, I've put you in this position purposefully so that I can demonstrate my power through you. So every time you rebel against me, Every time you refuse to obey my command, you are presenting another opportunity to demonstrate my might and my power through you. It's this, this truth that the very thing that seemed counter to God's plan, Pharaoh's disobedience, was in fact God's very purpose. This is good news for us because it shows that we have a sovereign God who works everything for the, glory, for the good of his people and the glory of his name. So that when we are in the midst of circumstances and trials and oppositions that seem to be counter the will of God, in fact seem to fight against God's plan and his purpose, we can have confidence that God can not only work through them, that God not only can, is able to kind of, you know, not that he can wiggle his way out, right, and kind of somehow come up on top, that he uses everything for his glory. We can have confidence as believers in that. This is what the plagues show us. This is what the plagues show us. Plague after plague after plague shows us that God is able to use everything, even the hardened heart of pagan kings, to display his glory and demonstrate that amongst his people. But it's not just the plagues in Egypt that teach us this. It's not just the plagues in Egypt. For us today as believers... The way that God's justice, his wrath, and his sovereignty is plainly displayed for his glory is not through plagues, but through the cross. It's another example of a moment when it seemed like evil had won out the day, and yet that all ended up being the very plan and purpose of God. Right, you got to think, in the cross of Jesus, in the immediate context it looked like things had fallen apart because what it looked like was Jesus of Nazareth the Messiah caught out by God was in fact being killed by the corrupt religious leaders and the pagan overlords right it looked like 
that Jesus, for all the good things that he was doing, here it is. The people of Israel finally had their Messiah that they've been looking forward to. Here he has come to redeem the people of God and bring them back into the glory of King David. And they're excited and they're ready, and then he gets killed. No less by the corrupt religious leaders who are corrupting the religious institution of Israel to begin with, and carried out by the Gentile pagan overlords who had conquered their nation. It looked like evil had won out. It looked like evil had won the day. Now, in a broader context, you can think of it, it looked like God's plan and purpose to defeat sin and death had hit a brick wall as well, because here it is, the serpent crusher that we've been anticipating since Genesis 3, the one who was promised and prophesied about time and time again throughout all of the scriptures, the one who would come would be the son of man that would receive authority from the ancient of days and would rule the nations with an iron rod and would bring God's people back to himself. He's being murdered by idolaters and apostates. And yet, we know that that cross was the very plan and purpose of God to pour out and demonstrate his wrath and his judgment this time not on a people not on a sinful people but on his sinless son that he could redeem us and bring us back to himself this is good news for us because now we know today as believers that when we are in the middle of opposition in times when it seems like things aren't going according to plan that God can use all things for his plan, that he has positioned things that he can display his glory, that the Pharaoh is in place not as a threat to God's plan and purpose, but to actually carry out God's plan and purpose. The murder of the Messiah was not a threat to God's plan and purpose, but was to carry out God's plan and purpose in redeeming for himself a people that would proclaim his glory in his name we can have confidence in the faithfulness of God because of the cross of Jesus Christ this morning which brings us now back to the second heartbeat of God behind the plagues if you look back in chapter 10 and verse 2 so God gives us some insight don't don't freak out about Pharaoh right um don't worry that this thing is, is going on for some time because I have put him in place. I have hardened his heart that I may display my glory, my signs and my wonders, so that, look, catch this in verse 2, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. This is what he's saying. He is displaying his glory amongst the Egyptians in wrath and in fury and redeeming, bringing out of bondage his people and will lead them to the land that he promised them with signs of might and wonder and power so that they can establish amongst their people and amongst their children and amongst their grandchildren a legacy in trusting the faithfulness of God. And we'd see this play out in the children of Israel, in the nation of Israel, that this idea of God redeeming them in power and in might would become central to their identity as a people. They would set up altars. They would set up, you know, just these rock piles, right, as testimonies to the faithfulness and the works of God. 
And when the children would say, what is up with the rocks over here? They'd say, let me tell you about how the Lord our God brought us out of the land of Egypt. Let me tell you how our people, when we were in bondage to Pharaoh, God demonstrated time and time again his sovereignty and his might and his power over Pharaoh and over the foreign gods of Egypt and led us through the waters of the Red Sea, led us in the wilderness by a pillar of fire and a cloud at night and demonstrated to us time and time again his faithfulness and his power in saving us. They were, they were called to proclaim to the generation and the generation after that intrinsic to their very nature as a people, the glory of God that was displayed among them and every awesome display of power that he would show out here in Egypt in the plagues. So they were called to not only to see God's glory displayed, but then they were called to turn around and proclaim that glory to their children and ultimately to the nations, that God and God alone, he is king in heaven, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He alone deserves to be worshipped. He alone demonstrates might and power over all idolatry, over the very nature and creation itself. The same way we as believers are called to proclaim the same thing. We as believers in Jesus Christ who have been redeemed from our bondage, not just from a sinful pagan king, but from the very bondage of sin and death, we who have seen God move in power and might among us and among our hearts, we are to display or to proclaim His glory in a testimony to His power to our children and our grandchildren and to, all, and to the world around us. We who have experienced the grace of God are called by God to proclaim that grace that it may be received by others. And so it brings up uh, some questions that we have to ask ourselves, and that is, what are we proclaiming to the next generation? What is it that we are proclaiming to the next generation? And let me pause real quick here, because I know some of you might be sitting there and be like, Oh, well, I don't have kids, so this is the part of the sermon that, you know, I'm excluded from, right? You know, sleepy time. Even if you don't have immediate children, we are all in a context where we are called to leave a legacy that is a testimony to the faithfulness and the greatness of God. Even if we don't have immediate children or grandchildren, we have a context, we have people in our lives that we are to establish a legacy that we are to constantly proclaim the glories of God in Jesus Christ, that they may come to know that same grace and glory. The question is, what are we proclaiming? So, a couple weeks ago, and yet it feels like nearly days, the Washington Nationals won the 2019 World Series. They battled back from a 19-31 and record at the end of May 12 games below 500 to fight all the way back, reach the postseason, and win the whole thing. So I watched the Game 7 of the World Series uh, in my living room by myself. Everyone else had gone to sleep, right? I was in my slippers and my robe, just, you know, geeking out. Probably cut quite a scene. Glad you guys weren't there. And, uh, you know, and I was excited. I'm excited. It happened, and... As the game, as it goes on and they're celebrating and I'm watching these fools pouring champagne all over themselves and kind of 
wished I had some champagne too. I could join in, you know. Uh, it got to a point where Steven Strasburg, their ace pitcher, won the series MVP. And so they're standing there and they're presenting him with the trophy, right? And I got a little teary eyed. Well, I'd been teary eyed, but I got even more teary eyed because it kind of really like hit home because when. So when Corbin was born, when my oldest was born, and uh, we were in the hospital, he came a little early, so they held us like uh, another night, and uh, we were in the hospital with him, and we were in the recovery room, and Callie was in the shower, and so she's taking a shower. I stole her bed um, because, I mean, I was tired. I mean, I'd been up for like on my feet for 24 hours, like just encouraging, you know, so I was beat. And, uh, but I was laying in the bed and I had Corbin like, I mean, he was like this big, like a loaf of bread, right? Just like, you know, and he was curled up on my chest and I was watching the Nationals game on TV and, uh, and Steven Strasburg was pitching and uh, I mean, and he, you know, he was lights out, beat the Padres. Yes. I remember who they were playing. And, uh, and I had that moment, you know, excited new dad where I was just like, man, you know, I'm going to take you to baseball games, right? You know, I'm going to take, I'm going to teach you to cheer for the Nats and we're going to go, we're going to go to watch baseball games and, and, you know, I was just excited to kind of pass that on, you know, something that we could share in. Um, as a side note, the Washington Redskins had just won the division that previous year behind their rookie quarterback who also won Offensive Rookie of the Year, RG3. So I was really confident that I would be raising a very satisfied and excited sports fan, but that's, that's a whole other thing altogether. But I was excited to have these, this, this cool thing that I could share you know, with my son, right? That, that, that you know, that we could do together, that I could, that we could share in. Uh, one other thing. So I love to read, right? I'm a big reader. Not just like theology books and, and you know, and, and spiritual life books, although I do love those. But, I mean, I like to read anything, right? I'll, I'll read biographies. I like history books. Um, I like, you know, just novels. Like I'm a, like you guys didn't know this, I'm a nerd. Right, big bookworm, you know, have been. My dad's a big reader, so as a kid, he taught me, you know, to love books and to love reading. And now Corbin is reading, right? And so he's he can read now, and he's gravitating towards books, right? He actually just finished his first like book, right? You know, front to back, little chapter book, and he was like, "Daddy, I, I read the whole thing," and I'm like, "All right, high five, you know. And uh, and so I'm excited about that. Even Evan. Um, is starting to gravitate towards books, too. He'll grab them, and he'll pick them up. Now, he can't read because he's two, which I'm a little nervous about, but, you know, we give grace. Um, but, you know, he's starting to gravitate towards books, too. And so I have, you know, on my shelf at home, like, you know, books that I've saved from my childhood that I can't wait to pass on. You know, hey, you got to read this. This is a good one, right? You know, that I can share with them, that I can pass on to them, um, you know. But here's the thing. As great as sports fandom and great literature are, if that's the only thing that I'm passing down to my kids, I have epically failed them. Right? If that's the only thing that I'm showing them I care about, I am epically failing them. Even to the point where I am not a good parent to my boys. If they can get excited about the Nationals and the Redskins well, and reading. <laughs> but they don't care about Jesus. I have failed as a dad. So the question for me, because I'm convicted about this as well, the question for me, the question for us 
whether it's to our children, to our grandchildren, um, to our coworkers, to our, our classmates, what are we proclaiming? What stories are we telling? You see, you know, the people of Israel, they could gather together and they could say, let me tell you the story that my father told me, whose father told him, whose father told him about the moment when we were held in bondage by Pharaoh, who burdened us relentlessly. And we would think back to the promises of God that were supposedly made to our our father Abraham, and we would wonder, what became of that? And then let me tell you about how God showed up time and time and time again. And every time Pharaoh seemed to stick his thumb out at God, stick his thumb, he was hitchhiking? I don't know, thumb his nose, that's what I was looking at, thumb his nose at God, how God would time and time again display his glory and how ultimately how God redeemed us as a people, how he led us out of that bondage and he put us in this land that we are enjoying today. He gave us this law that we could worship him. Let me tell you about what God has done in our lives as a people. The question for us is what stories do we tell? If our kids or our coworkers or our classmates could could tell you about what is most important to you, what would they say? What do we demonstrate is most important to us? What do we talk about? What gets us the most excitable? Is it Jesus and proclaiming his glory and how he saved us from sin and death and the futility of our own ways? how he showed up in our lives in power and in our might and rescued us from the darkness of our hearts and showed us that the very thing that once seemed despicable to us is all of a sudden the one thing that we can't get enough of? Or is it politics? Is it a political party? Is it who's president or who's not president? Is it a sports team? Is it logging hours at the office? Because we can do some, we can demonstrate by the stories we tell and the things we do what we actually value. So the question for us is, what do people say we value? What do our kids say that we value? If it's anything other than the excellencies of Jesus, we're failing. And that's not to step on your toes, because this is something that that God needs to work in my heart as well. What does my when my family looks at me, what is it that they see I am most consumed by? Is it is it Jesus or is it preparing a good sermon? Is it Jesus or is it putting together a good Sunday school lesson? Anything other than the excellencies of Jesus who has saved me isn't worth broadcasting over him. So my prayer today is that we would recognize the glory of God in all things, that we would see his sovereign might and power even in the midst of circumstances. And we wouldn't just see that, 
it wouldn't just be head knowledge, but we would be confident in it, that we would be owned by it. And that ownership of it, that being arrested by the glory of God, would be demonstrated in our inability to not proclaim the glory of God. Amen. So this morning, God, I ask that you would give us hearts that treasure you above everything, that you would continue by your spirit to make us into a people that love you more than anything. That, God, when we look at the cross, we see wrath and judgment that was not poured out on us. That we see your sovereignty over sin and death and evil and circumstances that don't seem to be matching up with what we expect. And God, that we would take that then and we would proclaim that to a lost and dying world whose only hope is your Son. Let the excellencies of Jesus be our all-consuming passion. God, not that we not that we can't enjoy your good gifts. I, I pray that that is not what has been uh, heard from this sermon, God, but that even in the midst of the good gifts that you give us as we enjoy them, we proclaim your excellencies in them. God, this is a work that only you can do in us, so we ask that by your Spirit you would do that. We ask this in the name of your Son.